Good morning. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13 together this morning as we start our series for the summer on the life of King David. But before we turn to David in particular, I'd like to take a moment to comment on the terrorism and the tragedy that happened in Orlando a week ago this morning. I don't typically listen to or read the news on a Sunday morning, and I didn't know what had happened in Orlando until much later. And if I had known, I certainly would have addressed it in the sermon last week, especially since the text spoke to it so clearly from Daniel chapter 12. You may remember that we looked at pursuing the Lord's wisdom and the Lord's manner, the Lord's message and the Lord's ways. And if you recall, I spent some time talking about how maybe uh, living lives for Christ so that the message of Jesus isn't betrayed by our manner of life. The message of the love and compassion of Christ isn't betrayed by our manner of interacting with sinners, even as the text said, the wicked act wickedly. Well, now we have an opportunity to apply our theology. But this attack, image bearers of God have been destroyed and they've been harmed. Calvin once said that whenever an image bearer is injured, the heart of God is wounded. And that needs to be our first concern. Our first concern is to weep and grieve with image bearers of God. Men and women who are made like God have been destroyed. And as the Lord has shown undeserved compassion and tenderness towards sinners like us, so we offer compassion toward others who grieve and are wounded. Now's the time for us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Now's the time for us as the people of God to search for ways to love and serve people who are made in God's image and yet are experiencing days of loss and sorrow. I have, and perhaps you've seen too, some reports of church leaders spewing things that are not born out of the love and compassion of Christ. Many things I wish I hadn't heard. Certainly things I tremble to have heard were said from a pulpit. Things like, I wish it had happened to more of them. Said from a pulpit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May it not be so of us. It's an indictment upon us as God's people that we have so learned how to judge that we've lost the ability to grieve with compassion. We have an opportunity, an opportunity to examine our own hearts as we extend compassion and kindness and love for people with whom we disagree. Now's the time for the manner of Jesus to be experienced from us as the people who are governed by the message of Jesus. Pray that that would be so of us. And with the backdrop of a world, a hard world in our hearts, we turn to the life of David. Why do we study David? Well, what happened in Orlando is a great entry, a good reason for why we study the life of David. Because this world, like David's world, was filled with tragedy and evil and slaughter and leadership failures. And, and in the study of the life of David in the, in the Scriptures, we aren't spared from the hard stuff. We aren't spared from the graphic, but instead we see a very clear retelling of David's life. We see all of his glory, and we also see his ruin. And it can give us hope. When we see the glory of this man, the glory of David the king, and yet the ruin that needs redemption 
it provides hope for you and for me. We see ourselves more clearly when we study the life of David in our glory and our ruin. We also study David because we see our need for grace in David's life too. He makes some terrible and awful and sinful decisions. And yet there's a grace that extended to him by the Lord. We see a great sinner to whom is extended an even greater grace. So we learn about ourselves when we look at David. We learn about the grace that's extended to us when we look at David. But we also see Jesus better when we study the life of David. In theological language, David is a type of Christ. That means he's a, he's a picture, he's a shadow. He points us to know what Jesus is like, what Jesus cares about, what kind of king Jesus is to be. And so this summer we're going to look at some vignettes from the life of David and see ourselves and see Jesus a little bit better. And today we look at the start. Today we're going to look at the transition from King Saul to King David. The one who has been called the man after God's own heart. And isn't that the kind of heart that we all want? Well, how did it start? Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded And came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes to see you more clearly. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would enable us to see our need of you 
more clearly and how you provide for our redemption. We pray that you would enable us to turn our hearts to live for you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, ambition is in the news, isn't it? We have a presidential candidate. His theme is Make America Great Again. It's ambition. And that's not a political statement. That is an American statement. It's true that ambition is in the news because ambition is always in the news in our nation. It's part of who we are. We are an ambitious people. America, for most of us, is a meritocracy, meaning that we get what we earn. If we work hard, we win. We are rewarded. We advance through merit, not through birth into an aristocracy, but by hard work. Ambition is American ethos. We, that rags-to-riches story is a uniquely American story. And ambition can be good, can it? It can drive us forward into incredible things to achieve and, and manufacture and invent and produce. Ambition can drive us no longer to be satisfied with things that are broken. But we also know that ambitious ambition can send us off the rails, can it? It can press us to manipulate Ambition can press us to use people. It can cause us to value what we produce in our designs, no matter whom we might have to step on to achieve it. So where does ambition fit into the Christian life? In the Christian life, it all depends on where it's pointed. Is it ambition for self or ambition for the Lord? And depending upon how we use our ambitions, what direction in which they're pointed, it gives us some measure to determine how we use what we have and how we interact with the people around us. How do we see that here in this text? Well, first of all, we see in King Saul a deep ambition for self. Saul was after his own name and his own fame, and he used God's people and he even used God to pursue it. In verse 1 of chapter 16, Samuel asked, How long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? This was spoken to Samuel, the powerful judge and prophet, who had anointed Saul to be king as the very first king over all of Israel. Saul had been given when the people cried out, We want a king like the other nations. They wanted a man to stand in as representative for the Lord. Saul was given as the God in the flesh, in a sense representing God there before His people to rule on behalf of the Lord so that the people would have a king. And yet the design of Israel's king was that he would not be like the kings of all the other nations. He would be different from the kings that all the other nations had. But in reality, Saul turned out to be exactly like they were. You see that in lots of places in the reign of of King Saul but we see it especially in the previous chapter, in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. We don't have time to delve into the Old Testament ethic here of what God called Samuel and called Saul to do. If you'd like to talk about it later, I'd love to speak to you about it. But the story in 1 Samuel 15 is how the Lord called Saul to pursue justice against the Amalekites. These were the people who 300 years before, as God's people were being freed from Egypt and they fled, the Amalekites stood in their way and brutalized God's people. They attacked, they killed, they stole, and they continued their brutality. They're horrible, wicked, and oppressive being people who, who were given to all sorts of human atrocity. And it continued 
Not only their first attack upon God's people, but it continued on and on and on, down through the 300 years, to bring them to that very day. And so God called Saul, his anointed king, his anointed representative among his people, to be an instrument of justice, an instrument of judgment. How horrible, you might say. But God did give the people 300 years to repent. He did give them 300 years to turn away and change. And nevertheless, God told Saul to devote the Amalekites to destruction and take nothing from them. His instructions were, don't take prisoners and don't take the livestock. Why? Because this was about justice. This wasn't about an imperialism. This wasn't about nation building. It wasn't about making Saul a greater king in comparison to the kings around him. Don't take prisoners, God told them. Because the only reason to take prisoners would be to trade them for ransom to enrich the king. And don't take livestock. The only reason you would rob a a city of its livestock is to rob that culture of its wealth. Because the livestock was like the town pension. It was the, the generational wealth in those days. But don't take those things, God says. Because this is a matter of justice. This isn't an imperial expansion. This isn't to to make Israel a greater and richer country. This was to stop a brutal people from their brutality. This isn't about building your treasure chest, Saul. But if you know the story, you know that Saul disobeyed. He took their king, Agag, prisoner, and he also kept the best livestock from among the city. Believe it or not, Saul was doing the exact same things that Agag and the Amalekites were being judged for having done. He used his power, he used his ambition for himself, just like all the other kings around him. And the end of the chapter points us that Saul was in so much pursuit of this that he was to elevate his own standing in the eyes of everybody around him. Saul was an approval hound. He wanted everybody to know how great and how powerful and how mighty he was. He was looking for a people to honor him. He was looking for worth in the eyes of other people. And it wrecked his kingship. It wrecked his service of the Lord. And that's what Samuel was grieving for in verse 1 of chapter 16. There had been a vision of a king who would serve and lead in order to lift others up. That was the original plan. To have a king whose heart was like God's heart, who uses his authority and his power in the way that God uses authority and power. To bless the poor, to bless the broken, to protect the weak, to lift up the needy. not Lead not to accrue for himself, but to distribute divine blessings to other people. The design was about having a king who would die for his people, die for the honor of the Lord before his people, rather than using God and using the people to enrich himself and his own reputation. That was what King Saul did. He used all that he had to enrich himself and enrich his own reputation. I wonder if that describes us. It's a painful question to ask. It's proper for us to ask it because each of us have a leadership role with someone, whether in our workplace or our home or with our children or as we mentor someone else. It can be a formal relationship or an informal relationship. But the question for us to consider is how do we use our power? How do we use the authority that we've been given? Are our ambitions being put to use to enrich ourselves? 
people who collect honor, people who collect wealth, people who collect accolades? Or do we use our ambitions and our power to bless the people around us? It's a hard question to answer, isn't it? And yet I think a test to search our hearts on this question is to ask where we find the presence of envy in our souls. If we're using our ambitions for ourselves, if we're using our power for ourselves, then we will envy what others have that we don't. We envy in other people the things that we chase after that we think are going to give us life. And we envy in others what we have ambition for in ourselves. Envy is that feeling of of pain because we don't have that thing. We don't have that, that status or that respect or that blessing or that personality quality that someone else might have. Dorothy Sayers once wrote that envy starts out, why should I not enjoy what others enjoy? And it devolves into why should others enjoy what I may not? That's envy. Why should other people get to enjoy something that I can't enjoy? What is it that you envy? What is it that you envy of another person? Is there their comfort or their money or their power? Security? Perhaps it's health or some personality quality? Whatever you envy in another person is a fairly good indication as to what you're using your ambitions to seek. Whatever you pursue and envy in someone else is what you feel like will give you life. And that which gives you life, you will devote your life to pursue. What is it that we envy? And it will give us a really good sense of what we're using our ambitions to chase after. Saul chased after accolades and wealth and comfort. And it wrecked his life because there will never be enough to satisfy an empty soul. You see, by contrast, in David, ambitions pointed away from self to the Lord. We see that in the beginning of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, where God says in verse 1, He has provided a king for himself. That's an okay translation, but literally it says, I have seen me a king among the sons of Jesse. And as God sees that king among the sons of Jesse, it connects to verses 6 and 7 where the oldest and the buffest son of Jesse is seen and he's presented. Eliab shows up. Maybe Eliab was the the star linebacker for North Bethlehem High Bandits or something. We don't know. Maybe he was the tallest and he was the most handsome in the village, but he wasn't the Lord's anointed, verse 7 says. For the Lord sees... Not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart, is what he says. And the question is what captures our sight? What captures our imagination? In our world, it's tall and strapping and bright that wins the day. And maybe I'm a little bit biased towards short people, but our world perceives strength. Our world perceives blessing in height and looks and in mass. I mean, there's a reason that for all of Tom Cruise's movies, he's made to appear taller than he really is. You may not know it, but Tom Cruise is actually shorter than me. And there aren't very many people I can say that about. (laughs) 
there's a reason that Tom Cruise has lifts put in his shoes so that he appears taller, appears more powerful, or they use camera angles to make him appear larger on the screen. If you're not a hobbit, it's hard to be a short action hero. But God says here, don't let camera angles fool you. Don't believe that how we appear on the outside is an accurate barometer of who we are. He says what matters is what's on the inside. What matters is the heart. What matters is our character. And David in verse 11 is described as the youngest. In Hebrew, the word is hakatan. It's a very complex word that's a combination of youth and having not very much size and being a throwaway. He's the Hakatan. He's the youngest. He's the throwaway. It's like when Samuel comes and says to Jesse, Are these all your boys? Jesse says, No, I've got this runt out in the field. That's what he says. That's what he means. I have the littlest, the smallest, the one of no account. I have the furthest one that anyone could possibly imagine being king. He's out in the field. One commentator said that this is like the male version of Cinderella. But it's worse because he's not the seventh son, which if you know your your Old Testament in Hebrew, seven is the number for completion. Seven is the number for perfection. David's the eighth. He's the one after completion. He's the one after perfection. He doesn't show up on the map. He's the throwaway. He doesn't matter to anybody. But where is he? Verse 11, he's out tending the sheep. David was a shepherd. He was in the field looking after those precious but defenseless creatures like sheep. David was in the field tending after really dumb creatures who often wander into harm. Being a shepherd was dangerous work because the land was filled with lions and wolves and even bears that wanted to devour the sheep. And at times a shepherd would have to stand in between the enemy and the sheep and risk his life to protect those weak and defenseless and dumb animals. Shepherd was the kind of person who used his power to lift up the weak and the needy and the vulnerable. Shepherds were the ones who protected those who were easy to prey upon. Shepherd used his ambition, turned away from himself to protect somebody else. We're seeing in this description of David being seen as the king as we're witnessing the making of a heart of character. David may have been the runt, but every day his very life was risked to protect the weaker and the vulnerable. And that is what the Lord saw in his desire for a king for his people. Someone who may not have been the most beautiful on the outside, but whose heart was given to protect the weak and the vulnerable and the broken. One whose ambitions and powers would be used looking away from self, not collecting riches and accolades and honor for himself, but instead laying down his life for the weak. That's what the Lord saw in the heart of David a shepherd. And in some ways, we see that as David being a shadow of the true king, the Lord Jesus. For the Lord Jesus not only risks his life to protect weak, sinful, broken people like us, he spent his life for it. He not only stood in the way of the enemy, the enemy devoured him so that you and I can have life. 
Jesus left the throne of the glory of heaven to become the runt for us. To become the one as Isaiah describes him. He wasn't the tall and handsome one. But he was the one who was beaten and disfigured on the cross. So that he could protect us. The condemned ones. Because we are guilty. And we are dumb. And we wander into harm all the time. David's heart of a shepherd. Shows us a little bit about Jesus' heart of a shepherd. For you and for me. Who chases after us when we wander into harm's way. The heart of the king was the heart of a shepherd who lifted up the broken and the weak and the needy. And ultimately, David is just a shadow because like us, he needs that same good shepherd, Jesus. But you know the story of David. He did awful things. He did sinful things. He, just like Saul, would use his power for himself. He would envy others who had what he wanted and it poisoned his soul just like it will ours. We need that good shepherd, just like David needed the good shepherd, in order to be free. We need Jesus because it's, it's the, even the most beautiful and the most gifted and the most talented and the most to be envied are still broken sinners who can do nothing about ourselves eternally. As much as the world will give us accolades, we can do nothing to provide for ourselves. We need to trust the Lord Jesus because each one of us are those weak and vulnerable sheep who need protecting. Every one of us are. Maybe you feel the conviction this morning of how you use your ambitions for yourself. Maybe you have used your power at the expense of someone else in your office. You've harmed them in order to advance over them. Maybe you have used your power and your ambition in your own family in ways that have hurt them. I'm here to tell you that the grace of God is given to sinners who need it. The grace of God is given to sinners who will humbly repent, who will name their sin and confess their sin and turn to Christ. And His blood will wash us clean. And He will free us not only from the guilt of that sin, but He will free us to use our ambitions for Him and His name and His glory. How do we see that here? Well, someone as needy as David, as needy as you and me, can only progress in this life through verse 13, where the Spirit rushed upon David. Literally, it says, the Spirit flooded David. so important to make sense of his life. To be freed from selfish ambition and to live with ambition for the Lord's name requires the gospel to free us of our guilt and the spirit within us to grow us into that kind of person. It's going to require us to be willing to embrace our need, not hide from it, not hide it from other people, but embrace our need and call out to the spirit who enables and supplies our need. Let me say it here. If you are in the prison of living like Saul for the approval of other people, you will never be free. If like Saul, you're living for the approval and accolades of other people, if you're collecting these things to somehow find worth in yourself in hopes of serving someone else, it's never going to happen. Because there's never enough accolade or honor or glory or praise to fill up an empty heart like ours. The only way to fill up an empty heart like ours is by the gospel of the Lord Jesus washing us clean by His grace 
and the Spirit that will flood our hearts, enabling us to live not for self, but live for someone else. What do you think would happen in our families or in our neighborhoods or in our city if we ask the people to make us into, ask the Spirit rather, to make us into a people who give ourselves away? What would happen if we repented of using all of our wealth, both our financial wealth and our relational wealth, instead of using it all for self, but instead we looked for ways that our lives could be poured out to lift up the weak and the broken and the vulnerable around us? What do you think our city would look like if all of the leadership capital of Rivermont that we have in this room would be unleashed into our city through people whose ambition is to give ourselves away, to spend our lives for the weak and the broken and the needy? What would our city look like if rather than collect, we gave ourselves away? I think there would be incredible things for the Lord that would happen in our city. Let me say here to dads on Father's Day, I'm speaking to myself. There's no better place to start than in our homes. With our marriages, with our children, and our friendships. Men, if you're not married with children, the question the Spirit would ask us is not what can I get out of these relationships, but instead where can I give myself away in those relationships? Rather than asking, where is my blessing? The Lord would have us ask, where can I bless? Instead of, where am I receiving? The Spirit will enable us to ask, where am I giving? Like me, maybe you are challenged by that this morning because you've blown it way too often. Within your own family, within your workplace, within your network of friendships. If you've blown it and you've used yourself, used your gifts for yourself far too often, turn again to the Lord Jesus who makes all things new, including sinners like you and me. There is a grace that is given to people like us that forgives and there is a spirit that will enable us to start again, to start with fresh eyes and fresh desires to give ourselves away for the ambition of of the name of Christ, not self. So men and women, boys and girls, as we see this start to King David, a heart that looks to give self away is where a heart after God starts. It's the starting line. A heart that says, how can I give myself away? So where are your ambitions this morning? By faith in the Lord who provides blood to cleanse us, and a spirit to empower us. Let us be renewed to be a people who give our lives away for the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by Your Spirit You would indeed make us a people who look not to collect, but who look to give. We pray that You would show us the relationships, show us the places, show us the broken spots in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our community where we can give our lives away, give our ambition away to lift up someone else. We pray, Lord, that You would use us in that kind of mission in our community, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high and that men and women and boys and girls would stream into the kingdom of God 
by seeing it lived out through us. We pray that you would make us that kind of people. Transform us this summer, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.